0: Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash, and let's dive into a new episode. Are you struggling with brand clarity, confidence, and creating content that connects? Want to brand yourself or your business, but don't know where to begin? Or are you frustrated because you're doing all the things you see everyone else doing, but you aren't getting more clients? You're telling everyone what you do, but no one hears you? It's like you're speaking a foreign language because your message isn't resonating. I hear you, the overwhelm is real. I feel your pain and frustration. I've been there. It wasn't overnight that I grew my business and figured out how to create a cohesive and consistent brand message that builds genuine connections and gets more clients. In fact, I did everything the hard way and I want to make it easier for you. Because I've been in your shoes and I don't want you to struggle anymore. I am offering brand strategy, clarity, confidence, and connection coaching sessions to help you master your brand messaging and be seen and heard as the expert you are. In a one hour strategy session, we'll dive deep into your values, visions, and passions to create absolute clarity around your brand messaging and business. You'll not only have absolute clarity for your brand messaging. She'll feel confident. When you are confident, you will trust yourself more and be able to create content, content that genuinely connects and helps your ideal audience get to know, like, and trust you. After working with Tracy for only one hour, she said, Robin's branding expertise was not only insightful, but empowering. She gave me a clear vision of my personal brand and how I can market myself as an authority in higher education. The blueprint she gave me for creating a personal brand is very detailed, but most importantly gives me confidence that I can and will continue to transform business initiatives within higher education programs and help and inspire others to do the same. Don't you want to achieve that sense of clarity and confidence to feel empowered to inspire your audience? I believe you can and will when we work together now if you're envisioning yourself feeling anxious and frantically taking notes during this session don't worry you don't have to write anything down the only thing you need to do is focus on the strategy session and learning and i'll take care of everything else you'll receive a comprehensive blueprint from me outlining everything we've talked about with action items that will take your brand messaging to the next level and attract more clients do you want absolute clarity on your brand messaging and to know how to connect with your ideal audience to attract more clients? Then this strategy session is for you. Don't waste any more time spinning your wheels. Go to therobingrahamcom shop to schedule your session today. Hurry because I have limited spots per month so that I can give you the attention you deserve. I can't wait to work with you and watch your brand messaging and business transform. Let's talk about influencers. Did you know that you are an influencer? You are. It's true. Being an influencer isn't about the likes, followers, and shares that you have on Instagram, it's about solving a problem for the community that knows, likes, and trusts you. In other words, If you are building an audience that engages with you, you are an influencer. So let's dive a little deeper into being an influencer. Ginny Melrose is here today to give us all the details, the framework of being an entrepreneur, how to pitch sponsors, how to blog effectively, and how to grow an audience so that we can make more money online. Ginny Melrose, welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. I appreciate it. Well, it's a pleasure. And I'm really excited to talk about your expertise and your book and really help my listeners identify with being an influencer. Even if we don't consider ourselves an influencer, so to speak, we actually are influencers if we are in an entrepreneurial space. So before we dive in, though, will you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, about your business, your book, and your journey to your second phase? Yes, absolutely. So I actually started my first phase as an inner city school district reading specialist. I had just had my first daughter, and I started a side hustle, kind of what I considered it, a lifestyle blog called The Melrose Family, where I created quick and easy recipes and projects for busy parents. And that I had had for 10 years. My oldest is now turning 11 this year. And I sold that site last year for six figures. And I made enough money where I could then turn into my second phase, which I retired from teaching because that lifestyle blog replaced my teaching salary of 75000 And I was able to really do my lifestyle blog full time. Then started getting asked, of course, once I did retire from teaching at 35, how did I do it? How was I able to make this a full-time income as an influencer, as a blogger, which often we automatically put on negative connotation. I think often with, we assume, oh, you're talking about those Instagrammers that would just do the duck lips. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about actually influencing and using it to grow your business because you have an opinion on something. So I was asked, how was I able to do it? And turned into my second phase of JennyMellers.com, which is my coaching business, where I help female entrepreneurs really understand how they can market themselves online as influencer entrepreneurs, which is how my first book, Influencer Entrepreneurs, came about. I love it. And I want to hear a little bit about your journey with writing the book, because you were spending a lot of time blogging. And then you now have online courses and you coach. So you're extremely busy. You have a family. I want to hear a little bit about your journey of writing that book and how you found the time and how you were able to dedicate the time to be able to do that. Yes. So I actually wrote the book last fall. So at the time of us recording this, we're in the fall of COVID so it was 2020. It's the only way I can describe it. Um, so it was pre COVID and my girls were actually going to school full-time five days a week. And I had normal work hours. So what I did is I looked at my schedule and said, okay, where can I fit in an extra 30 to 60 minutes per day where I can just sit and write. And that's my only thing that I'm going to focus on. And so what I started doing is I started my day a little bit earlier. My day used to always start, I would start with clients around 10. And that was kind of like my work hours of when I would start. So it gave me a good buffer after dropping the girls off. So what I did instead is I upped my timetable and moved it to nine so that I was at my desk by nine o'clock and could work from nine to 10 just on the book. And that nothing else was open on my computer. There were no extra windows. Facebook was not open. Notifications were turned off. I actually put on some sort of music that I would just kind of like, not quite meditation, but something that would keep me focused on and listen to that as I would just type away. I did that probably... I think it took me about a month and a half to write over 25,000 words because I was just able to sit and focus. The way that I did it is I would use those time periods I outlined first so that I could kind of take a look and say, okay, this is the part of the chapter that I'm going to write about today. This is this part and just could bang those pieces out. So some days I would write for 45 minutes, others I might write for 20, depending upon where I was within my outline. The first draft was done within a month and a half. And then of course the editing process and everything else that kind of came with it. The book launched May of 2020, which was in the middle of COVID. And it was not the launch that I had planned. I had actually normally do an in-person conference in Charlotte, North Carolina that got canceled. And I had planned on actually launching the book at that event. And wasn't able to do that, but we pivoted and figured out how to do an online launch. And it's been great. It was quite the process, but it was, I've learned so much from it. Now, how did you find your editor and did you self-publish or did you have a publisher? I actually self-published because I knew the way that my schedule was that I didn't want to have to wait to get it out. I wanted to get it into the hands of my clients rather than trying to have to go through and pitch it to multiple publishers. So I did self-publish. I actually hired a book coach because I wanted to make sure that the self-publishing process was done correctly and that book coach had contacts that she had used in the past for my book cover, for my editor, as well as for the, not the copy editor, but it's the, the way the formatting that needs to get done in order for it to be an ebook print and whatever else. Okay. Fascinating. So you did all of those things basically on your own with the help of a book coach. Yeah and you know it's funny because i've been hearing a lot of i actually was pitched not too long ago by a book coach i'm thinking well this is a new one for me you know to to think of someone just coaching on writing books but So many people are writing books now. And I think with the advent of the internet and social media, it makes it 10 times easier. Yes. And having her to kind of walk me through the process, I didn't need help with the writing process. I was a writer. I blogged for 10 years. I didn't have any problem articulating my thoughts. (laughs) I actually over articulated, I think at times, but I didn't understand the process of like, how do I go to print? Where do I put this up? Who do I get in contact to do a cover? And she was able to like, here's the timeline. This is what we're going to be working. On these weeks, and I needed that. It was during just a crazy, crazy time, busy, and which it always is, but it helped to have those kind of like timeline points of when I needed to have everything in in order to go and launch when I initially planned. Yeah. Okay. So let's switch gears a little bit because I'm really curious. You said that your blog generated enough revenue for you that you could quit your day job your full-time teaching job, and just run your blog. And that became your business. Yes. So for listeners who don't understand what the influencer world is like, how does a blogger make money? I know there's affiliates. Tell us about this in the process. Yes. So I think the first piece that people need to understand, and they often skip this step, is they need to build an audience that engages with them. If you do not have an audience, you cannot grow and monetize in any way, whether it's affiliates, ads, or sponsored income. There's just no way to do that without having that audience. So the first piece is to really understand your positioning within the marketplace. And I know you and I actually had a conversation on my podcast about something Mm -hmm. similar, really understanding what your positioning is, who you are trying to attract. Because when you go to work with brands for sponsorships, which is how I primarily made the majority of my money, they are looking to better understand your audience, who it is that you are serving and how you are serving them. So sponsorships, the way that that would work is I often created recipes. So let's say I went to a pasta company and I would pitch them and say, hey, I'm going to create a recipe using your pasta. I'll put this together. I'll create the blog post. It'll include your pasta in it. And then I'm going to do the social media that goes along with it. I'm going to promote it to my audience. I would then pitch them a price for those deliverables. And they would either agree, disagree, or negotiate, which was often the case. Mm -hmm. And I consistently worked with brands, anywhere from like, I worked with Smuckers all the way to, I even worked with Neutrogena. I had a long-term contract that made me over five figures with Neutrogena. And that was something that actually started off as, Hey, we want you to put up this free video. So I know a lot of people initially always think of influencers as like, oh, they're the people that talk about on Instagram about what they're wearing or what makeup they're using or what skincare they're using. And that's definitely a piece of it. But it becomes more than that when it's actually embedded within the content and created on like a blog post that shows how they authentically use that product because it's value to their audience. hmm yeah, and then it shows more of an understanding and that genuine relationship and authenticity so that you build the no like, and trust factor. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned pitching. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Of course. That's actually one of my favorite things to talk about. It's what I'm actually known the best for in the blogger world is because I created a signature course called Pitch Perfect Pro that actually walks people through the entire process of reaching out to brands. But what it starts with is first you know your positioning, you understand your audience. Then from there, it goes into authentically reaching out to brands that you know, use and love, that you have in your pantry or you have in your makeup cabinet, depending upon what your niche is and what you talk about. And then reaching out to those brands and showing who your audience is and how that audience is of value to that brand. So if I were going to reach out to Neutrogena, I'm going to talk about why they're the perfect fit. So initially how my relationship with Neutrogena started off is they wanted me, like I said, to post this free Facebook video and for me to do it for free. And I replied and said, Hey, I appreciate you so much. This is the perfect fit. I have two daughters One that is very fair, very Irish looking, and then another one that has very olive skin. I need two different sunscreens for them. And that's what they wanted me to put this video up about. I said, So I know this would be a great fit for my family as well as for my audience of moms that also have kids with all different skin types. But I only work on compensated content in order to keep the integrity to my readers and also to any previous brands that I've worked with. I'd love to put together a proposal to work with you. And that's where they came back and were like, sure, what's the proposal? What would that look like? And that's where I was then able to say, we'll create a blog post, we'll do the social shares, we'll email my list. And I could show the size of my audience. I had all of that, obviously data, as far as how many followers did I have on social media? How many page views were I seeing in 30 days? I could provide that information for them so that they could see the value in what I was going to give them. Okay, so let's talk about your audience now that you said the size of your audience. And you mentioned this at the very beginning of our conversation, was that we have to actually build that audience first. How did you build your audience? So the first piece when I went to build it was knowing who I wanted to attract. I needed to figure out who my personal avatar was going to be for the Malrose family. So I needed to understand what did she do? Where did she shop? What was she looking for? And for me, at that time, I lived in New York. The way that you really create an avatar is your avatar is often you three years earlier combined with your best friend is the way that I say it. And that best friend piece is in there is because she's the one that's going to say to you, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't use that product. You're selling out. So that's why you include that piece of her as that avatar. So once you create that person and understand who it is that you're trying to attract, then you put the content out that's going to attract them. You talk to them, you get on Instagram stories, you create content on Instagram that is going to be attracting that ideal person. Because as you attract that person, it will repel others and actually pull in that audience that you're looking for. So as you build that audience... And continue to just, the piece that people often now get confused on when they I say audience, they think followers. There's a difference between an audience and followers because you could buy followers. You can do unfollow and follow. Those are followers. An audience are the number of people, but they're with the engagement included. So you're actually having conversations with them and you can get comments on your feed or in your stories or in your DMs. And you know that they are there because your content is attracting them and getting them to actually comment on what you're creating. And you've built a connection with them that is forming genuine relationships versus just, oh, I follow this person and I saw this. Yeah. You almost become friends. Like think of you as a mentor or a friend. Yes. And that's exactly what an influencer truly is. If you think about it, you're an influencer with your friend. When your girlfriend comes over and you just got a Stitch Fix box and you're wearing a cute dress that you just got from it, she's like, Oh, where'd you get that dress? Oh, I got it from Stitch Fix. She is more likely to get that subscription box because you influenced her as your friend to take a look and research and wanna do it. It's the same thing as an influencer online. You build that connection so that when you then suggest something, they're more likely to take that action. Oh, I like how you just said that. They're more likely to take action based on what you've influenced them with or by. Yeah. So this leads me to another question though, because when you first started, it was all blogging, right? Like social media, I guess Facebook was probably around then, but Instagram was relatively new or not even on the scene. So when you talk about blogging and I've heard so many people question recently the value of blogging. Now, in my opinion, which of course I have one, but in my opinion, blogging is very powerful because it's evergreen content. We can repurpose it. It's on our website, the only platform that we own except for our email list. And we can use it to our benefit to drive traffic to our website to then sell other services and products. So for me, blogging is huge, but people are skeptical about the time it takes to blog and whether or not people are going to find it. So I would love to hear your perspective on how you built this audience from a blog without the social media component initially. Yes. So you're absolutely right. Facebook was the only thing that existed. Pinterest had came out probably six months after I started. Instagram didn't come around for another two-ish years. And I even waited five-ish years to get on it because I was a teacher. So for me, blogging, like you said, I was vigorously shaking my head, yes, agreeing with everything that you said. It is the only thing that you own other than your email list. And the reason that you still want to continue to do it is because when you create content and you use words, keywords within your content that people are searching for, all of those people now are able to find you when they Google something. Now, a lot of people will kind of their eyes will start to glass over when you talk about SEO and keywords, but this is a perfect example that I can share. When I started, I didn't totally understand this. It took me a little while to get kicked down a couple of times and say, okay, that's not how we do this. I created a post that was called Love Bug Fruit Cups. They were adorable. They went viral on Pinterest. I got a ton of traffic and then it died off. And I couldn't understand why until someone said, Who in their right mind is typing into Google Love Bug Fruit Cups? That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for non-candy Valentine's Day ideas, which is what it was. It was a Valentine's Day idea for kids. So I changed the words within that post and the title and all of the content within it. Still called them Love Bug Fruit Cups. But the key word was non-candy Valentine's Day ideas. And that's what I talked about in the blog post, how it was the perfect idea. You don't have to always bring in candy. This is the greatest thing to be able to bring for your kids' classrooms. And then it started to find a new audience. Because there's plenty of moms that are looking for non-candy Valentine's Day ideas. So that's what you need to think of when you're thinking of keywords and how you're going to create content. Think about what is a normal person not a blogger, not a social media person, normal person, your key audience member going to type in to find it. And there are tools that you can use to see whether or not it's being used. There's things like Uber suggest, which is free, or you could use SEM rush, which is also there's a free version and then a pro version, but it'll tell you how many times per month that is being searched for. And you want things, especially as you're starting out, to not be 25,000 search volumes in 30 days, because you're never going to get towards the top of Google if it's a topic researched that often. Instead, you want to see if you can't make those keywords a little bit more narrow, a little bit more specific, and get a volume that ranges anywhere from 500 to 5,000. Yeah. Yeah. SEO is always something that people get like glazed over, but it's something that's just so important. Think about what people are searching for and create the content, then using those words. Don't use your own words. <laughs> Yeah, you have to put yourself in your audience's shoes and what question are they asking? And if you have niched down, like you and I have talked about before, and you know your ideal audience inside and out, which is critical for growing the audience and becoming a true influencer, then you're going to know the questions they're going to ask because you know the problem you're solving for them. And every question they have comes back to that problem that they have that you can solve for them. Right. Okay. So, Jenny. You've said, and I know in the book you talk about this, being an influencer entrepreneur isn't about being Insta-famous. And you alluded to this a while ago. And you said it's not about the followers, the likes, and the shares. So what is it about? It's about being able to, like we talked about, influence someone to take action and having that connection with them in order to get them to do that. Really, truly, any business that is... Consider themselves an entrepreneur where they have to sell their products or services has to be an influencer entrepreneur. You have to be able to influence those people to hire you. Whether you are a real estate agent, a nutritionist, a business coach, it doesn't matter. If you have to sell a product or a service, you need to have the skills in order to influence them in order to do those things. And when you're influencing, it's not about a hard sale. That's the difference. I think when we think of car salesmen, the first people that come to mind when it comes to sales, right? When it comes to that, there's a difference. They can be influencers if they do it correctly and build that connection instead of going after the hard sale and giving you everything they think that you want, instead of actually listening to that person. So when you're really an influencer entrepreneur, you're listening to what your audience needs, solving their problem, building that connection, and then giving them the opportunity to take action on it based on your recommendation. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so you use a four-step framework, right, for becoming an influencer. There's not enough time in a podcast episode to go through the entire framework, and that is what your book is for. But can you just give us a few of the tips, maybe, I don't know, your top four, top five things that you focus on to encourage your clients or, you know, guide them and how they can take those initial steps to becoming an influencer. Yes. So my four-step framework is the, um, is PAC, the acronym PAC. So each letter stands for one of the pieces of it, one of the parts. So P is for positioning, which we kind of already talked about. It's really understanding the problem that you solve and how you can fix it for your audience. The A is the authenticity piece. Whatever you're talking about, is it really you? Do you truly believe in that? And this is where it gives people an opportunity to actually connect with you. That's where the connection comes from. When you're authentic and you share the behind the scenes and you show them the way that things really are. If you're a home decorator, and everything that they see is picture perfect, and your ideal client is a mom with kids right now, she is not going to hire you. She wants to see that you're struggling just as much as she is. So I'm not telling you to like make something up like you are struggling if you're really not. But if you're going to be going after that ideal audience of that mom, you have to give her tips then on how you're able to make it look the way that you do it. How do you have all white furniture with a toddler? Like that doesn't make any sense to her you need to have it make sense to her. Like, what are you doing in order to keep it that way? So that's where that authenticity comes in because it's going to build that connection. They're going to see you as a real person and they're going to decide if, if they know, like, and trust you mm-hmm. because that's how people are going to decide to purchase something or pick up a service, right? Right, absolutely. The C actually stands for confidence. And confidence is something that I honestly have found, especially with women, that we assume that people are just born with it. That the women that we see on TV and walking down the street, looking like you know the blowout was just done, whatever it is, that she was born with that confidence. And that's actually not true. Confidence is something that you have to practice. It's a skill that you have to build on. So I often will tell people, you have to fake it before you make it. And I'm not telling you to be inauthentic in the way that you fake it. Like, don't pull up in a Benz and try to tell everyone how that Benz is your car. Like, I'm not saying that. what I'm saying is you have to have that faking enough to know that you can stand in front of someone and talk about something and talk about your skill level, even if you maybe haven't worked with a client. Maybe you haven't done a sponsorship yet. Well, what does it look like? you got to have that level of confidence that you're going to be able to do that and have learned, can solve the problem for your audience. It's almost like mapping out the process before you even begin. Yes, absolutely, 100%. And then the last piece of the framework is K for kindness. And this is often the piece, when I first did the framework, it wasn't part of it. I just had the P I C, And for me, I realized during the writing process, something was missing. There was something about my business that wasn't reflected in my framework. And it was the kindness piece. It was That is a huge value to me. It's something that I want to teach my children to be. And I think that it's something that we should have in business is seeing people being kind to each other. It shouldn't be us thinking that it's us against the world. We can help other women. We can collaborate and build each other up. We often have this mindset of lack of being able to have the actual means to do something, right? We think of scarcity. We think that if she's doing it, then I can't or competition. Mm-hmm. What it really truly does not need to be that. What it needs to be is understanding that you fill the marketplace in a particular way with your positioning. And so does she, and some people are going to be attracted to you. And some people are not, I am not everyone's cup of tea. It's just the way that it is. And it's okay. Really a huge piece of that last piece of that framework was so important, I think, because we see less and less of it. I think with social media, especially right now, we're in the middle of an election, which is just awful. It can be very triggering to say the least. (laughs) It's awful. (laughs) It is horrible. And you're seeing the worst of people right now. I always believe in paying it forward. And I think when you act in a certain way, And even when people are being rude or disrespectful or whatever it might be, it'll put them on their heels. They're going to take the time to sit back and go, oh, that's how I'm supposed to be acting. And I mean, obviously, you can see ways when it doesn't always work that way, especially with the debates and everything. But kindness is just such a huge piece of what we need to be just putting out into the world right now. It's huge. I love that. And you touched on something that I think is so important is that It's not about being competitive and looking at other women as your competitors, but knowing, recognizing that you have been called to do what you're doing and you've been called to serve a certain population, people that are just waiting for you to come into their life because you can connect with them authentically and really build a genuine relationship with them. Whereas the other person has their people they've been called to work with and people that are gonna connect with them. It's something that I think from a very young age, a lot of people struggle with. And then it you know just transfers over into adulthood. And I think because of social media and just the competitive nature of our environment these days, we all get stuck in that rut sometimes. Yes, no, 100%. So you touched a little bit on numbers, you know, the followers and the shares and the likes, things like that. But if someone is striving to be an influencer, is there a number of followers that is going to say, be the point where they become an influencer or where they are recognized as an influencer? It's a really good question. And the answer people don't always like. But the way that I describe it is it really depends upon your niche. So if you do something where there's not as many people maybe that are that, so let's take, for example, you are a chef that does vegan, gluten-free, and oil-free. There are a lot less people trying to do that than if I wanted to go create comfort food with like gooey (laughs) butter and whatever else, right? Because of that, the people that I am trying to attract as that vegan, gluten-free person I can't attract as many as that comfort food person. So the way that I look at it, there isn't an exact number. If you can tell me about your audience and your audience is more than your mom, your sister, and your best friend, then you are starting to become an influencer. You do need to have your rate that you are going to be able to charge to work on a sponsorship will be tied to your follower numbers. I'm not going to try to tell you that it won't. And the standard for Instagram is honestly the easiest one and was what brands at this time of the recording are wanting tremendously right now. Because let's be honest, it incorporates now four or five different platforms with IGTV, Reels, Stories, and actual posts to the feed. So with Instagram... For every 10,000 followers that you have, you can charge $100 for a post on your feed. You can charge $100 for one story. And if you were to do a reel, I would probably say I would charge a little bit more. Now, of course, we're talking right now and reels have been out for a month and a half. So it's a little hard for me to really say, okay, industry standard is this but more goes into a reel because you are doing the editing and the different things that goes with it that I would probably charge a little bit more for that. So let's do the math. If we had 5,000 followers, then I could charge $50 for every post. If I had 2,500, I can charge $25. So that's kind of industry standard right now still for Instagram. For Your blog also will come into it as far as your 30-day period, and then any other social media platforms as well will come into it. And I always tell people, you give them a package price. You don't tell them, I charge 50 bucks for an Instagram post, $100 for a blog post, and $20 for a tweet. That's not what you're doing. You give them one package price. This is what I charge for a blog post, three social shares, a pin, an email, and a story on Instagram. Because that way, when they come back and they negotiate with you and say, oh, we don't have a budget for that, which they'll say every single time. And if they're not saying that every single time, that actually means that you're not charging enough. So if they're immediately saying, yep, we'll do that, it's because your price is too low. But if they come back and they negotiate, then you're in a good range. And instead, when they say we don't have the budget for that and they've got to go down $100, you take something out of that package so that it's still valuable for you. In my book and in my courses, I always talk about having a hate rate. And the hate rate is the rate at which you will hate yourself and the content that you create because you've gone too low. And you need to know what that hate rate is. If it's going to take you three hours to do something and you only charge a hundred dollars, what could you be doing during that three hours? Is that taking away from your kids? Is it taking away from clients that maybe you charge $300 an hour for? So you really need to decide what that hate rate is for you. And it's not going to be the same for you as it will be for the other blogger that maybe has the same number of followers because maybe she doesn't have kids. So knowing that what your rate is is so important. Oh, I love that. That's so valuable to know. So basically what I'm hearing you say is you don't necessarily have to have 50,000 followers, 100,000 followers. If, and I guess this is where you become a micro influencer because you have fewer followers. So you're reaching fewer people, but someone still sees value in working with you because you do still have an audience and you do still have a great way of communicating that is going to marry well with their product or, or service. Yes, absolutely. When I had the Melrose family before I sold it, I think the blog was probably getting, we never got over 250,000 page views in a 30 day period. And which for a blogger that does food is smallish. And then as far as social media, I never had 10,000 followers on Instagram and I was making $1,500 per sponsored post. And I easily was making $10,000 a month just in sponsorships each month because I created long-term contracts with them. I didn't just do one blog post, like I would be doing three, but that would be after delivering everything once for them, for them to see, okay, the ROI, the return on investment is valuable. She can give me the numbers. We know how many people we're reaching. This is definitely valuable for us. It's a great marketing strategy for them. Yes. Somebody else is doing the work. Yes, exactly. And they can use that content across their social media platforms by tagging you. There's all certain things. I've even had brands that have come back and bought the rights to my photos to now have them up on their website. So it was in addition to everything that I had given them on my own site. Now they wanted it for themselves. And that's an upcharge. Like that's something totally different. Absolutely. I just had a really good question for you and it slipped my mind. Shucks. <laughs> it comes back. We'll jump right on it. I hate when that happens. <laughs> so let me ask you this Who is your favorite influencer? Who has really inspired you and who do you look up to? Oh my goodness. That has changed, I think, so much over the course of my 10 years because. 2009 was when I started blogging. That was pre-Pinterest, so some of the big-time bloggers then were like Tater Jen Hadfield from Tater Tots and Jello, who I just revered. Her site was beautiful, and actually became really good friends with, and did collaborated on a couple different things with her. And then as I've kind of come up and become within my industry and became a coach, I started more looking for the marketing side of things. How do I do this side of my business now? And Amy Porterfield was always someone that I loved listening to. Pat Flynn, I actually met him in person at a conference a couple of years ago that we both spoke at. And I'm an avid reader. You can't tell right now because of course, I hope they don't see the video, but my shelves are all empty from the upcoming move. But normally they're filled with books. I just love marketing books, anything I can get my hands on. So I think, like I said, influencer wise for me, Amy Porterfield has always been my go-to. Like I will always listen to her podcast, but I have all, there's probably 50 podcasts on my list of what I want to listen to. Yeah. I'm the same exact. And I'm not one of those people that has favorites. So for me, it's kind of in the moment who's inspired me that day. Yes. And it also will depend upon like what topic I want to listen to. Do I want to listen to about money mindset or do I want to go and listen about marketing or do I want to listen to Facebook ads or Instagram? And I will jump around based on what I'm in the mood for. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. I know what I was going to say now. And it was when I was listening to you talk about your relationships with the sponsors and we were talking about how it's great marketing for them. Here's why it works. And I've often used the example, you know, when we're talking about personal branding, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to become the face of your brand. You have to be the personality of your business. And when when sponsors hire a blogger or are willing to pay these fees for blog posts, social media posts, They're putting a person into their business. You're becoming that personal component of their brand and their business, and that's how they're able to sell. So I was thinking it as you were saying it, and then I got distracted somehow. So I'm glad it came back to me because I think it's really important. Just because you're a big company, a big organization, that doesn't mean you don't have a personal brand. You're just working with individuals as the personality within your brand versus. Yes. That's a hundred percent true. And I can say that the clients that I've worked with, the ones that have probably done best on sponsorships are normally the ones that are most visible and have a strong personal brand tied into their business because they are like, they want that face because brands know that their audience is connecting to the person, the mom, you know, the 20 year old, that's the style blogger, whatever it might be. So yes, hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So Jenny, where can my listeners find you, connect with you, learn more from you, work with you and listen to your podcast? Yes. So my podcast is Influencer Entrepreneurs with Jenny Melrose. We were very good about sticking with the branding. That is also my book is Influencer Entrepreneurs. can find it on Amazon. And then JennyMelrose.com is my website. A bunch of freebies when you get there, as far as if you're looking to pitch or if you're looking to figure out how to do more consistent Instagram stories. Those are my favorites the best way to get in contact with me with a quick question from this episode is definitely get me on DM on Instagram at Jenny underscore Melrose. I am always in my DMs answering questions and I just love stories. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you being here. I think this was a really fun conversation and you've shed a lot of light onto or into onto the influencer world. So it was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. I appreciate it. Have you joined the Brand Insider private Facebook group yet? If not, head on over to Facebook, facebook.com forward slash groups slash the Brand Marketing Insider, where we make branding fun. Every day, we network and build community and genuine relationships and learn tips all about building a brand that stands out and makes an impact. I'd love to see you there and I know everyone else in the group would love to learn from you and connect with you as well. So head on over there and join the Brand Marketing Insider private Facebook group. And that's a wrap friends. Thank you so much for listening today. I am grateful to have you here with me. If you enjoyed this episode and found the information helpful, will you please take a moment to subscribe and leave a rating and review? That would mean the world to me. It will also help others find the podcast. I really look forward to getting to know my listeners. Will you please connect with me on Instagram? You can find me at the Robin Graham. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Robin Graham. And I invite you to join my private Facebook group, The Brand Marketing Insider. Please spread the word about the second day's podcast. Until next time, remember to smile.